Nikki Liu is a financial analyst in Hong Kong. And one day, early on in the pandemic, she logged onto Facebook. She had a problem, and she needed some help. The first thing I did is went to the almighty Facebook page called uh, Hong Kong Moms. <laughs> and, I, and I said, help. I think I accidentally ordered 200 lemons. 200 lemons. It all started when Nikki set out to buy 20 lemons for a special recipe. But this was back when everyone was just getting used to the new normal. Many found grocery shopping scary. So Nikki, like a lot of people, started shopping online when she made her big mistake. It just felt very new when you look at pictures versus, you know, when you go to the store and you know that you're buying, like, for example, eight bananas, right? But if you're online, you say, okay, you want to buy, what, like eight pounds of banana? How many is that? (laughs) Yeah. When you buy so many things online and you just basically get a very big bill in the end, you just don't check that, oh, gosh, I bought 200 lemons. (laughs) I only realized that when it came to my door. (laughs) (laughs) What does it look like when 200 lemons arrived at your door? Uh, It it looked like my neighbors did not like me. (laughs) 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 Because, so we we live in apartment buildings and uh, with 200 lemons and other groceries, uh, it basically just took up half the hallway. So what do you do when you suddenly find yourself with 200 lemons? Nikki didn't want to just throw them out, so that's when she turned to that Facebook moms group. And she tried a bunch of their suggestions. She made lemonade, she made lemon syrup, she preserved lemons. But about a year later, Nikki hasn't gotten through all those lemons. She still has some, preserved in two big glass jars. They are sitting in a dark section of the cabinet so that they are not exposed to light, so they can last as long as possible until I am not scared to touch lemons again. So I haven't, I haven't had lemons in like over half a year. I just don't even want it in my water. I don't want to see it. <laughs> it's almost hard to imagine a better metaphor for the past year than 200 lemons showing up on Nikki's doorstep. At the Wall Street Journal, there's actually a special column every day that's dedicated to writing about quirky, slice-of-life stories like Nikki's. The newsroom calls it an A-head. It's an old nickname that comes from how it looks on the front page. And while the past year has been a devastating one in some very big ways, the A-head has been chronicling the smaller, funny ways that everyday life has changed. Taken together, they paint a picture of a lot of people getting up each morning and trying to adapt to this really odd year. There were people just trying to figure out how to live lives. And that is the world in which the Ahead lives, which is the strange and peculiar ways in which people try to figure out how to just get by in a circumstance when all the rules suddenly changed. Our colleague Matthew Rose is the enterprise editor at the Journal, and part of his job is to edit these Ahead stories. It was a bit like peering through people's front window. Um, and you could see that amid the sort of genuine difficulty and sadness and tragedy that accompanied the pandemic, Everyone was living versions of their own personal weirdness. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Friday, March 19th. Coming up on the show, stories about the odd twists and turns of everyday life this past year of living through the pandemic. This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. 
Looking to invest? Start your journey by exploring exchange-traded funds with GlobalX ETFs. Exchange-traded funds, or ETFs for short, create baskets of stocks, bonds, and other assets that you can buy in a single trade. GlobalX specializes in ETFs that track emerging trends, like the rise of artificial intelligence, as well as strategies aimed to generate income potential. Visit GlobalXETFs.com to discover how you can get started. We went through a year's worth of those A-heads and picked out a few that captured some of the strange things that we've been living through. We're going to start with a story of Jesse Freisinger, a middle school social studies teacher. Early on in the pandemic, Jesse was getting used to a new piece of apparel, a face mask. But Jesse wears glasses. And like a lot of us who wear glasses, he realized pretty quick that the combination of a mask and glasses don't work that well together. Jesse first discovered this on a trip to Walmart. My wife and I were looking for chili sauce. She's going to make some kind of a chicken meal. And I'm pushing the cart. And I had a really poorly fitting mask on. And my breath was going right up into my glasses. And my glasses had fogged over. And I noticed someone's coming towards me. I can't see very good detail. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to make a decision. Do I run over a person or do I kind of <laughs> risk knocking things off the shelf? Sort of like when you're, when you're driving and, and a deer hops out into the exactly. road and you have to decide between the deer and the ditch. Exactly, yep. Jesse chose the ditch, which in this case was a grocery store shelf. And I think I made the right choice. I didn't run anybody over. And I ended up just <laughs> hardcore crashing into a little bit of the condiment section. Was it like you like lowered your shoulder? Yeah, I'm a like a football hit. I'm a football coach, so yeah, I know all about that. Yeah, you just drop the shoulder and be ready to deliver a blow, I guess. But yeah, I didn't want to hit any people though. That day in the supermarket was a wake-up call. Jesse realized that he'd have to come up with a solution for this fog problem. So when he got home, he started tinkering. I was like, I have to figure out how to make this work because who knows, this might last even like a couple weeks. Ha ha. And he landed on an unconventional solution. He decided to stick a straw out the side of his mask. It was like an exhaust pipe on a car. I just blew out the straw and that kept my glasses from getting fogged up. Kind of like a snorkel. Kind of like a snorkel. Mm -hmm. Are you a snorkeler? I am not a snorkeler, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, I live in Idaho, so not much snorkeling here. It was kind of honestly stressful to breathe out that. You had to really like like do yoga breathing or something because it was... I was exhaling more than the straw could handle. I ended up actually at one point using two straws, one in each corner Uh of my mouth um, (laughs) to exhale. What happened when you had to talk? Uh, Made a point not to talk very often. And did you realize at the time that it completely defeated the purpose of a mask? No, no, I wasn't that smart. After a while, it was like, Why am I wearing a mask? I'm wearing a mask to protect myself and others. Well, am I protecting others by still exhaling all of my germs into the atmosphere? No. All right. I probably should do something (laughs) different then. Eventually, Jesse solved his problem in a safer and simpler way. He found a mask that fit, a surgical mask with a nose wire. Another thing that happened early on in the pandemic was that many people decided to take on projects around the house to try and pass the time. 
But those pandemic projects didn't always go as planned. Like for Donnie Chamberlain, who runs a local news blog in Northern California, her pandemic project was a vegetable garden. When the pandemic came, I figured, you know, this is my first pandemic. I didn't know what to expect. And we were having, you know, the toilet paper shortages. And Mm -hmm. I was looking ahead and thinking, you know, things could get pretty bad and maybe there will be food shortages. So the mindset I had was I would plant this garden and I would have tomatoes and I would can things and I would build a bread oven outside. And so if I didn't have electricity, I'd still be set. My twin sister here in Reading um, has bees and um, chickens and she has fruit trees. So I just thought, you know, we'll be set. It sounds like you had kind of a vision for a utopia amid a potential apocalypse. Exactly. That's exactly how I pictured it. And so I thought I'll have bread, I'll have vegetables, my sister has eggs and honey, and we'll be set. So Donnie set out to build a vegetable garden in her backyard. I read up on it and I watched YouTube videos. So I was really imagining that I was going to, you know, double down and do my research and how hard could it be? So I got a kiddie pool, one of those little blue, you know, drugstore kiddie pools, and I painted it red so it would look like more like under the Tuscan sun kind of look instead of that aqua plastic blue. And I um, filled it with really good soil, organic moisture retention soil, and I started seeds indoors and not, not going crazy. It was just tomatoes and eggplant, some herbs. And in the days and weeks that followed, heading outside to water her garden became sort of a refuge for Donnie. My first husband used to call me a water witch because I like to stand with a hose and a glass of wine or a cup of coffee and just water stuff. Uh. <laughs> and so, so especially as things got kind of stressful, I'd be writing and I'd get frustrated or something and I'd just go outside with a glass of wine or a cup of coffee and hold the hose and just water. But it quickly started going downhill from there. When did you start to see signs that your garden was failing? Well, in this area, it's a Mediterranean climate, and um, everybody I know almost has a garden. And um, I noticed other people, friends on Facebook, and they would put pictures. They go, oh my God, my entire kitchen counter is filled with all these vegetables. And Uh oh my gosh, what am I going to do? It's kind of like, you know, garden porn. (laughs) And then I'm looking at mine. It's like when you have a child that isn't living up to your neighbors, you know, (laughs) they're just like underachievers. And I I realized that I was being left behind. My garden was being left behind while everybody else's was producing. When Donnie's plants did produce, there wasn't much to show for it. A few shriveled red peppers, a single eggplant, and a few tomatoes. The tomatoes were so tiny. I mean... You know, my image of canning quarts and quarts of tomatoes, I eventually realized that if I tried to can those tomatoes, I would have to find like the world's tiniest baby food jar. (laughs) I think I had enough for four tablespoons, like soup spoons. I could lay them on the counter and I actually put a little tomato in each one. Like cherry tomatoes, like just a little tiny bite size. Yeah, but they weren't supposed (laughs) to be cherry tomatoes. Exactly right. Donnie says one reason things might have gone wrong is that she ignored one key instruction in those YouTube videos, drainage. 
The kiddie pool she used had no drainage, and so those water witch sessions might have been drowning her plants. When I look at my little kiddie pool out my window, which is now filled with probably toxically rotten dirt, <laughs> um, it kind of is a metaphor for the entire year. Nothing was as I expected, you know, um, despite best efforts. And I think it, you know, it made me realize how little control I have over things that I think I have, you know, dialed in. So it was it was a humbling experience for me. And every time I walk by that kiddie pool and look at all that dirt, I mean, I just kind of I don't feel I mean, I'm, I'm not hard on myself about it, but I just kind of shake my head and say, well, that was kind of a bust. But I am feeling more optimistic about 2021 and I'm going to try again. This year, I've already bought some pumpkin seeds. Mm. I want pumpkins for fall. And um, I think this time it's going to work. But I'm not going to do it in the kiddie pool. That's for sure. After the break, Ahead stories about leaving your comfort zone. How well do we know the people we work with every day? We share lunches, jokes, and deadlines, but are we aware of the unseen struggles we often face silently? Stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or feeling misunderstood at work. Through insight, awareness, and empathy, we can start to better see the issues our coworkers are dealing with, and that can make us and our companies healthier, too. Join Holly Robinson-Pete and her guests on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing carefully, consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Company. Many people sought out new ways to get out of the house safely this past year. The A-head columns in the journal had plenty of these kinds of stories. Newbies trying out camping, people dusting off old rollerblades, and adults learning to ride bicycles. Bicycles had a banner year. Sales shot up. And some people who had never learned how to ride a bike decided that it was time to finally face their fears. People like journalist Ash Sarker. I always wanted to ride a bike. I saw people doing it, and it felt like they were gliding around the world with this ease and cool and glamour. Like there was a girl who went to my university and I remember the first week of university, we were queuing outside a building for a lecture and she swooped in and she was wearing these wide-legged trousers. And I just thought, oh my God, that is elegance. Ash never learned to ride a bike as a kid. And for years, she just couldn't bring herself to try as an adult. The thing that held me back was pride. I got to an age where I was like, oh my God, I'm too old to learn it's not happening. And the kind of shame <laughs> of being an adult, an adult who is an academic and a journalist, I can do other things in the world, being like, I cannot ride a bike. Then came the pandemic. Living in London, Ash didn't have a car and public transportation was no longer an option. 
and I just found my world so constricted. So I was just seeing the same, like, you know, 45 minute walk radius around my house. And my partner is a cycling evangelist. And so from the beginning of when we were going out, he's like, I'm going to teach you to ride a bike. I'm going to teach you to ride a bike. It's going to happen. And I was like, no, 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 no. And then we got round to a few months into lockdown. I was like, okay, you win. So one day they went to a bicycle shop. Ash hoped to get a black or gray bike that wouldn't draw too much attention to herself while she learned. But the surging bike sales last year meant that there were slim pickings. And there was just one bike in Ash's size. And it wasn't black or gray. It had a lime green frame and bright orange saddle and tires. So I was like, well, I can't back down now. Like there's something in the universe that wants me to have this completely insane bike. Next came the training. What we did was we took the pedals off so I could practice gliding. Uh-huh. Like like what little kids do, like what toddlers do when they've got a bike with no pedals and they just have their feet on both sides. I mean, thanks, thanks for the comparison, which makes me sound really <laughs> dignified. Thanks. That's, exa- that's exactly how I hey, felt. Well, you know, it's one way to learn. Like an idiot 28-year-old toddler. <laughs> Ash and her partner found a quiet road that was blocked off to traffic where she could practice her gliding. It wasn't exactly smooth sailing. There was so much swearing. There was so much crying. Was there any crashing? Um, yeah. Yeah, there was a couple of times. One was like into a parked car. Who? And then the other was, there was like some horribly smug seven-year-old <laughs> cycling past <laughs> me the other way who was looking at me. And then I looked at the seven-year-old and then just as I was looking, just tipped over entirely and just went, douche. Um, <laughs> and what did the seven-year-old do when he saw you fall over? It's London. He just laughed and pedaled <laughs> off. <laughs> like, we're not a nice city. How did you even feel in that moment? Oh, I felt like I wanted to break up with my boyfriend. I really did. I was like, you brought me here. You know, my mum warned me about dating white men. They said that stuff like this would happen. You'll end up on walks in the countryside and learning to do wholesome activities. And you don't want to do that. Still, Ash kept at it. And then came time to try riding the bike for real. The day the pedals went on, we went to the park and it just came together like magic. And it was like how I'd literally dreamed it. Like that was the feeling of being on a bike and it moving and you making it move. And I thought I was going so fast. I thought I was like, wow, Speedy Gonzalez. And my boyfriend obviously filmed the magic moment of takeoff. And I was so slow, like this like glacial pace across the grass. <laughs> but I felt so fast and I felt so elegant and graceful. Ash's bicycle story wasn't all joy. It actually has kind of a dark epilogue. Ash is a pretty well-known journalist, and she's got almost 300,000 followers on Twitter. One day, she tweeted a picture of her and her bike, and far-right people on Twitter latched onto the photo, building up a whole conspiracy theory around it. It was a useful way to then say the things they wanted to because I'm left-wing, and I'm a woman, and I'm a woman of colour, and I'm a Muslim woman of colour, and they're implacably opposed to all those things. Ash started getting death threats. Strangers online started saying that they'd run her off the road if they saw her on her very recognizable orange and green bike. So she decided she had to sell it. 
but she did manage to find a more anonymous one. It did feel like this thing which had just been like uncomplicated and joyful had sort of been taken away because, you know, racist nutters are racist nutters. And for a few months afterwards, I was really jittery. Your nerves are kind of on high alert all the time. But when I had the less recognizable bike and I was cycling around the city, there was this other feeling of anonymity, which was really pleasing to me. And I had this feeling of, oh, I never have to be in any one place for any longer than I want because I've got this bike and this bike symbolizes freedom in this other way. So it's both a feeling of vulnerability sometimes, but mostly mostly freedom, mostly good things. As people figured out online grocery shopping, perfected their masks, tried out gardening, learned to ride a bike, months and months went by. And with them, milestones. Birthdays, anniversaries, holidays. And with all those passing occasions, people tried to figure out how to adapt their traditions to the moment. Some were less prepared than others. For Terry Gant, who owns a comic book store in Chicago, Thanksgiving wasn't usually something to put a ton of effort into. Can you describe what Thanksgiving is normally like for you? We're normally not the Thanksgiving hosts, so we don't really have to sweat it. We do one experimental mm-hmm. thing. I, I pick like a boozy thing. We make a dessert. We also usually luck out with like some kid in the neighborhood school is selling pies or something. It's like, hot damn, <laughs> we've got pie, right? Like we're really cooking with gas here. When it dawned on Terry that a big in-person Thanksgiving wasn't going to happen, he thought he'd be eating pizza because Terry had never cooked a turkey and he wasn't planning on starting in 2020. I'd bet like... Of all the people who have turkey, most of those people are hoping someone else does the turkey. Yeah. The majority of them. It's like a Dungeons and Dragons campaign, right? Like everyone's going to play D&D, but only one guy's got to buy all the books. That's what's going to happen. (laughs) But then, about two weeks before Thanksgiving, Terry's wife found herself in possession of a turkey. She'd been out running errands, and her sister's church was giving them away for free. When the church is giving away turkeys and somebody hands you the turkey, it's hard to be that person that's like, no, 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 my life is so great, I don't need this turkey. (laughs) The only problem was, Terry and his wife had nowhere to put it. I opened the freezer and realized that two days before, we loaded the freezer. It wasn't really super cold in Chicago yet, so we just stick it onto the back porch in a cooler and keep pouring ice over it for a week. (laughs) That's what we were doing. We were like like trying to keep an organ viable. (laughs) That solution got old pretty fast, and so they decided to ask their neighbor for help. And you just knocked on her door and said, Hi, I'm your upstairs neighbor. Can I borrow some of your freezer space? Absolutely not. No, 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 no. This is the 21st century. We sent a text. (laughs) And what did you say in the text? Hey, neighbor. It's us, your neighbors. So, by the way, do you happen to have a second freezer? Not for any reason. We just need to put a turkey in it. The neighbor let them borrow some freezer space. And then the big day arrived. Terry and his wife read up on how to cook the turkey. They got the bird in the oven. And then they got into a little dispute. There's some debate out in the turkey universe about do you flip a turkey over or not? After all their research, Terry and his wife were on different ends of the flipping universe. Terry was anti-flipping. 
It just seemed like the turkey's inside of a volcano, dripping hot oil everywhere. The turkey weighs 16 freaking pounds. And we're gonna flip it over with basically those long pokey fork things. This is a bad scene. Uh-huh, a long pokey fork thing. I'm trying to visualize what that tool is. Two long pokey fork things. Like, you know, it's like, it's a fork, but it's only got two yeah. forky bits. Right, and it's long. On like, yeah, with the I handle. think I got it. Yeah, okay. it's long, yeah. <laughs> with all that weight concentrated on your long pokey forky things, like, this is gonna be not good. So we had this big argument over it for <laughs> like the duration of it cooking. And at some point I was like, all right, so fine. If we got to flip it over because you want the underside of the turkey to be the same color as the upper side of the turkey, let's just get it done. And then we began trying to flip the turkey. And at some point I just had to call abort, 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 because it looked like the turkey started looking like a seismic map of the U.S. So how did the turkey look when it did come out of the oven? You know, the turkey had character, let's say, uh-huh. right? So like, it looked like you would expect the cooked turkey to look minus the the sort of battle scars of, of the attempted flip. And mm-hmm. I think it turned out all right, visually. How did it taste? It, we did all right. I think we did good. We did good. Like I, I, Some people are worried about like dryness of turkey and underdoneness of turkey. And somehow we actually, we nailed it. So not to get like too deep, but do you think that your experience with the turkey says anything about like the year that we had in 2020? Um, I would, my, my experience probably isn't unique, right? Like it's, it's because the year we had in 2020 made people have to make some hard decisions and do some adjustments and do some odd things they wouldn't have done before. Like some people didn't even, the reason the church is giving out turkeys is that like not even everybody even had a, a Thanksgiving turkey. And to a lot of people, that tradition is necessary. So they're giving out turkeys because they want you to still have that feeling. You don't get through a pandemic without finding touchstones of things that are normal, right? That that root you. It's hard to do. You have to stay away from people, including your family. You can't go out. Don't go outside. There's all kinds of things that happened in the past year that really deeply affected people because all of their avenues for escape were shut off. You know, so like a turkey might just be the thing to help you out. That's all for today, Friday, March 19th. Special thanks to all the Wall Street Journal reporters who wrote the A-heads that inspired our interviews today. Val Borline, Lucy Kramer, Sabra Chowdhury, Sebastian Herrera, Jennifer Levitz, and Charles Passy. Thanks also to Tammy Audi and Carrie Dolan. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and the Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Kate Leinbaugh and me, Ryan Knudsen. The show's produced by Catherine Brewer, Gerard Cole, Pia Gadkari, Martin Kessler, Annie Minoff, Laura Morris, Afif Nasuli, Ricky Nevetsky, Enrique Perez, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Annie Rostrasser, and Rob Zipko. Our engineers are Griffin Tanner and Nathan Singapak. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Catherine Anderson, Peter Leonard, So Wiley, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.